Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we didn't cover in this episode. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe. And I am your second host, not yet Dr. Andre Kurenkov. <laughs> and in this episode, we're going to do a usual mix of applications, business, research, advancements, and society stories. We're going to talk about how there's new wearable AI-powered tech, uh, how there was another dramatic firing at Google AI, some new research on detecting weak heart pump with an Apple Watch using AI, and a new DALI-esque text-to-image model. We'll also talk about how UK regulators uh, can use auditing algorithms for AI and a new uh, machine learning model to predict homelessness among U.S. soldiers. And we'll finish up with some fun stories about AI writing wine and beer reviews, uh, visualizing your Spotify tracks in a sort of uh, graph, and finally, updates to Boston Dynamics' cute dog robot. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right. First up is wearable AI-powered whole breast ultrasound system cleared by the FDA. So this article discusses how there is now uh, an FDA-approved ultrasound for whole breast uh, ultrasound by iSono Health, uh, and that is based in SF. The startup did announce that the FDA approved one of its technologies, which is a portable ultrasound system that uses AI to generate whole breast images with just a few minutes of scanning. Uh, and so basically, you uh, a patient is strapped into this thing, and it looks like a, quote, high-tech inverse of Madonna's infamous cone bra. Uh, and it, the system activates, and uh, it doesn't require a trained ultrasound technologist to operate. So uh, that's cool. So a less technical person can use it. Also, scanning the entire breast volume actually only takes a minute, which is much faster than 10 to 15 minutes of manual probing, which is normally what is done. And iSonus technology actually takes the 2D images uh, of breast tissue and generates 3D images from those so that a physician can look at it uh, from, from any uh, device uh, and then be able to uh, see if there are some issues uh, over over that over that app. So very interesting technology. And this is connected with another article that we see of FDA plays Tooth Fairy awards clearance to Vidya Health's cavity spotting AI. And this is a second article that's very, very similar in the sense that the FDA again uh, bestowed clearance on an AI algorithm and this time from a different startup, Vidya, Vidya, Vidya Health, that can help dentists identify cavities uh, in x-rays. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> the, the, they can now um, look at, uh, you know, millions of data. It was trained on millions of data points um, and look across, you know, a dental x-ray and be able to help uh, dentists detect and see and reduce the number of misses that dentists might have of uh, caries lesions by 43% and also incorrect diagnoses by 15%. 
So all in all, a very interesting week for uh, AI health applications cleared by the FDA. Yeah, and uh, I think these are both pretty exciting, right? Like yes, uh, screening for breast cancer is very important. Uh, it's very common. I just Googled it. About one in eight U.S. women, so 13%, will develop breast cancer. So that's obviously huge and making it... Yeah. More accessible, yeah, to have screening, high-quality screening is, is crucial. So this sort of seemingly pretty, pretty significant advancement is a really big deal. And likewise, obviously, we all <laughs> don't like teeth cavities, and it's a pretty common thing to check uh, as well. And, uh, you know, here it's maybe less of a leap, but still improving the uh, number of uh, missed uh, things and incorrect diagnoses by large margins is is a big deal. So, yeah, really, really cool to see such impactful products uh, really, you know, already getting improved and potentially, you know, coming to market market relatively soon. Yeah, all very, very cool things. Um, seeing the AI health stuff get into the hands of uh, actual clinics is very, very cool to me because I remember when this was all kind of research and we were all very worried about this going out there. I'm still slightly worried, obviously, of <laughs> this going out there, but I'm glad that uh, we're making progress and, and moving towards supplying these systems. Definitely. And, uh, you know, also it's worth noting that these are all uh, you know, technologies that are meant to be used by the doctors to sort of help them, right? So they do scans, they provide 2D imagery, 3D imagery, in the case of mammograms, uh, and then still the doctor can inspect them uh, via computer or tablet to interact with the images and, and see different kinds of views. And similarly with the cavity spawning AI, that's ultimately based on the x-rays, which assists the dentist in analyzing them. So also a good thing to note is that this is not replacing anybody. This is just making people uh, more efficient and, and better, which is uh, obviously something that is a good thing. Always a good thing. And on to another story that is uh, not so positive. It's titled Another Firing Among Google's AI Brain Trust and More Discord. This is from the New York Times. Uh, so this was uh, pretty dramatic, and I've seen some conversations about it on Twitter. The short version is that a researcher, Dr. Shutter G uh, was fired in March shortly after Google told his team that it would not publish a paper that rebuted and criticized some of the claims made in a prior Google uh, paper uh, published in Nature. So this paper that I believe we covered is on uh, using uh, reinforcement learning to do chip layout or chip design and they actually claimed they used it to improve their own TPU designs. So after that paper was published, this uh, researcher, uh, Satrajit Chatterjee and several people wrote a critical paper essentially uh, of this claiming that some of the results maybe don't hold up. And um, afterward uh, submitted it for uh, 
kind of approval within Google and it was not approved for publication. And ultimately, uh, Dr. Chatterjee was fired. Now, this may seem kind of fishy and, uh, you know, may seem like Google is hiding something. From what I've seen uh, in the discussions among researchers, it appears more likely that this was uh, actually justified. My impression personally is that it seems like this researcher is a bit of a toxic presence that whose sort of criticism was not well founded. Um, at least that's what I've I've seen in in the great point, so to speak. But uh, obviously, still not a good thing for Google AI with this sort of stuff is happening. Sounds like a lot of uh, drama coming within that org, unfortunately, um, still brewing. Uh, I do know one of the um, friends with Anna Goldie, one of the lead authors um, on the uh, subsequent paper that was published, but with a Chatterjee's name taken off. And I believe she did write a statement that Chatterjee has waged, uh, quote, a campaign of misinformation against me in Azalea, who is her uh, uh other co-author there uh, for over two years now. And that's very sad to see. Um, so yeah, it does seem like uh, there's there's a, you know, clearly lots of drama and not the most encouraging workplace. Yes, indeed. Uh, this article did draw a comparison to the prior high-profile firings that we've talked about extensively last year, the firing of Timnit Gebru and uh, her uh, colleague on the Google uh, AI ethics team. Um, and I've, see, I've seen some criticism of that as well uh, among AI researchers, sort of basically this reconnection the, the being... Um, not kind of reasonable because the situations are seemingly quite different where in one case, Google really was maybe uh, silencing valuable criticism. In this case, it seems like the opposite. They actually did defend uh, good researchers against uh, a sort of almost harassing like uh, behavior. So yeah, I think to draw the connection there is maybe incorrect, but obviously the bigger picture is this is not great for Google AI. And I've also seen a lot, uh, you know, on the Twitterverse, people are saying a lot of people are moving on from Google AI. So I don't know what's happening, but uh, something maybe isn't great over there, uh, at least from the outsider perspective, not what we really know. Yeah, I mean, these things ebb and flow. So this is definitely one of the ebbing uh, times for Google AI, it, it seems. Uh, and I definitely, you know, it ebbs and flows across a lot of different organizations. Uh, and recently there also was, you know, Ian Goodfellow left Apple. And so that was a whole big news story as well. And, and you know, so that's, that's probably going to cause... On people to leave Apple as well. And so it, it's just, it very much waxes and wanes. And um, yeah, I guess it's hard to, you know, stay on top and be perfect all the time. Uh, so uh, hopefully, I mean, Google and all these companies, you know, learn from their mistakes and then be better and start to flow again. Uh, yeah. But it is, yeah. It's, it is worth noting that Google AI is massive and it's still 
publishes by a good margin the most papers in most of the top AI conferences. So it's, you know, it is it is much bigger than most other industry labs and then, you know, absurdly bigger than academia type labs. So dynamics are sort of inevitably different and there may be these sort of conflicts uh, that, you know, if, if it's happened in academia, probably it won't make the news, but <laughs> here it certainly did. Cool. And on to our lightning round. Uh, the first article is AI model can accurately detect multiple retinal diseases in real time. And so this is a new study um, that can recognize multiple retinal abnormalities at the same time that's in your eye. Uh, and this can help the early diagnosis of these diseases in underdeveloped areas. And our second article, we only have two for this section, is Intel wins DARPA Racer SIM program. So DARPA, which is the U.S. military branch that does experimental research and does a lot of funding and different programs, uh, has awarded uh, Intel uh, with support from Intel Labs and, and some other groups the opportunity to develop an advanced uh, simulation solution for off-road autonomous ground vehicles. So uh, this new robotic autonomy in complex environments with resiliency dash simulation, which is a big acronym for racer sim. Uh, that's pretty cute. Uh, yeah, created an off-road simulation platform to help with develop, development of, uh, you know, presumably AI-powered uh, autonomous vehicles off-road. And there's some fun screenshots here where you can see it's sort of like a video game engine, which has a sort of desert-like environment, and you presumably have physics and stuff like that. So, yeah, pretty neat. And on to our research and advancement section. The first article is... Mayo researchers use AI to detect weak heart pump via patients' Apple Watch ECGs. Uh, so this article is about how uh, an algorithm developed at uh, Mayo Clinic was used using single lead ECG tracings from an Apple Watch. So just using your Apple Watch and can identify this weak heart pump, uh, which affects 2 to 3% of people globally and also up to 9% of people over the age of 60. So that's quite a number of people, actually. Uh, and unfortunately, this problem has no symptoms, um, but it is associated with various things like racing heartbeats, leg swelling, shortness of breath. Um, and specifically, uh, it's important that uh, when doctors know that there's a weak heart pump present, uh, there are a lot of treatments available that are life-saving and symptom-preventing. Um, so it's critical to actually be able to detect that and use an AI here to just you know, embed that into an Apple Watch, um, watch that ECG signal, and then detect this condition. Uh, and so, uh, it's it's pretty exciting to see this because this could be huge. And you know, as as we deploy things onto these you know watches, it's just so critical to do this uh, kind of background monitoring uh, of people uh, who are wearing these watches uh, to to basically notify them to to go to the hospital. Uh, so the participants of the study um, securely transmitted a total of 125,610 ECGs from 46 states in 11 countries over a six-month period. 
And the average use of the app was about twice a month. Uh, and the overall participation was high. Um, 92% used the app more than once. Uh, and each patient recorded many ECGs. Uh, and researchers cleaned up those readings and used that for the study um, into an AI model. Yeah, again, <laughs> another story related to healthcare that seems pretty exciting. Uh, here, this is an, an earlier stage, so they say this is just the first step, and their next steps is to kind of do a more global perspective uh, to test this in a more uh, more diverse populations and and demonstrate that it still works. Uh, but obviously, here, you know, this is awesome because, you know, um, Apple watches are relatively inexpensive, and a lot of people already have them. And given how you know pretty common this is, nine uh, percent of uh, older people, and even just two to three percent is a huge population. Um, so, if you had something that could continuously monitor you. And, you know, you didn't have to check for that uh, actively. That would be very exciting. And honestly, I wish I could use my Fitbit to help me with, you know, getting a better picture of my health beyond just how many calories I burn and how many steps I take. Definitely. Yeah, I did. I did see, I think sleep tracking is improving these days. So you can get a better picture of your sleep quality which I've personally been using to find out just how bad my sleep patterns are. <laughs> Is uh, it really that bad? <laughs> it's, uh, it could be better. could be better. <laughs> got it. Got it. It's okay. Yeah. So yeah, very neat research and would be cool to see where this goes next. On to our next story, we have Tsinghua uh, Yu and uh, Bai, a company, present CogView 2, which achieves state-of-art competitive text-to-image generation with 10x speedups. So just recently, we talked about DALI 2, uh, which has been all the rage, super exciting. Another text-to-image model, basically. You tell it, draw you know, a tall giraffe playing basketball, and it can actually do that with pretty astounding quality. And so this is a very similar type of research with CogView 2 uh, being uh, kind of in spirit, the same concept, but with a lot of uh, slightly different technical details. And the exciting part is them really speeding things up via some technical approaches to super uh, resolution and some other tricks. Now, they do compare uh, their results to DALI 2, and they don't quite measure up, but they're <laughs> still a good deal better than uh, most of the prior work. And um, part of the reason they don't quite measure up seems to be that uh, DALI is strained on way more data and is, I believe, much bigger. So, and it has some other architectural details. So, you know, I guess that makes sense that it's better. But still, this demonstrates ongoing progress uh, and sort of a convergence of ideas, it seems like, as the main concept here of basically more steps of super resolution uh, seem to be the same uh, in spirit. So, 
yeah, it's, uh, I guess, nothing groundbreaking, but it is cool to see these sort of parallel tracks all attacking this problem and making really significant progress. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how this is a almost international battle across countries. Uh, so, you know, Dolly 2 comes out and now China's like, okay, we need to make sure our universities show something. And I'm sure Russia will put something out or maybe not right now, but like different countries will put things out um, almost as like a national pride thing with AI. And I find that uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, they did also demonstrate here something different from DALI, which they can do multiple things with this, uh, which DALI could also do image editing, but here they can also do things like image captioning. And they showed that with some fine tuning, you can get those sorts of results. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this also probably demonstrates that it's getting easier to do this kinds of research just based on where we are conceptually in terms of our techniques. Yeah. Uh, obviously, transformers are all the rage, and it seems like they can do no wrong. And uh, do no <laughs> here's, wrong. <laughs> here's another example where, well, at least you know uh, they can get state of art, which is what most people care about, <laughs> right? Got it, got it. <laughs> that type of wrong. Yes. Uh, do no worse on the benchmarks. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So another cool result. And uh, we don't cover it quite as much here, but in parallel to all of this, there is uh, also quite an active community of open source sort of hackers working yeah. to match with DALI 2, and they're making a lot of progress on that front as well. So even if uh, OpenAI doesn't give public access, to this level of quality for text to image, it's gonna be available to just about everybody soon, it looks like. It definitely galvanizes uh, the community to actually produce open source versions for everyone to be able to use because they know it's very much gated by these companies. Definitely, and, and that's a really exciting to see. I've had a lot of fun over the years playing with stuff like Artbreeder. And honestly, I wish I had more time playing with text-to-image stuff. Uh, one of these days, I'll get around to it. I love Dolly, too. I, I play with it a lot. What <laughs> uh, <laughs> are some of the... You may have noticed on my Twitter feed. Uh, what? Uh, what are some prompts that you've had fun with lately? Oh, my gosh. I really like this glittering apple I made, this rainbow apple. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Very nice. Oh, there's something so aesthetically pleasing about that to me. I just I just love it. <laughs> I love colors and sparkles, and I was like, I love fruit, too, so it's great. All um, right. Well, check out uh, Sharon's Twitter for some of those fun <laughs> things. Check out a lot of people's Twitter. Check out the hashtag Dolly, too. Yeah, um, check out. Yeah, there's... Uh, Every day I see new stuff that's kind of mind-blowing. So yeah, an exciting space for sure. And on to our lightning round. Uh, the first article in the latest research from the University of Toronto, machine learning-based approach speeds up the counting of microplastics. Uh, so uh, the researchers at the University of Toronto have developed new techniques for counting and categorizing microplastics. Uh, and this is especially important because microplastics are found in drinking water, food, 
in the air. Um, but before researchers can actually fully understand the true impact of these particles on health, we have to find faster and more effective ways for quantifying uh, what is actually present. And our other stories over here are Northeastern University and Microsoft expand StyleGAN's latent space to surpass the state of art on real face semantic editing. So StyleGAN is one of these things that has been a pretty big deal as far as models. Uh, a lot of the sort of uh, fake faces you've seen out there are from StyleGAN. And more recently, it's uh, also been used not just for generating images, but also for semantic image editing, where you can say, make this older, make this person smile, et cetera, things like that. And so this paper here, uh, titled Expanding the Latent Space of StyleGAN for Real Face Editing, essentially uh, presents an improvement to this feature of editing faces. Uh, by making a larger latent space. Uh, do I know what that means? Not really, but it's cool to see that there is some progress. And then the last story here, we got Microsoft AI researchers develop Moller, a deep learning based generative model that enables efficient drug design. So we've talked about these sorts of things um, previously. It's, it's a pretty big deal to uh, use AI for drug development. There's been a lot of work in that space. And um, yeah, here there's yet another uh, new work on this uh, topic. There, there's a paper called Learning to Extend the Molecular Scaffolds with Structural Motifs. And uh, yeah, it, it looks into uncovering new molecules more quickly. Uh, and specifically, I guess, just to double click on the Muller mo model, it actually, uh, they're representing the molecules as graphs and the atoms are the vertices and the bonds between the atoms are uh, the edges of the graph. Uh, and they use a graph neural network uh, as uh, an encoder in, in a VAE type model, as an autoencoder type model. Mm -hmm. And just a quick note on the StyleGAN thing, I think they're trying to make it so that uh, style gag could also improve with face editing because a lot of the Dolly 2 stuff is showing that you can mask things out and be able to edit that. So I think they're just trying to get that to the same same par in terms of controllability. Yeah, trying to make GANs relevant now with Transformers right. are all the rage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it actually is not Transformers exactly doing the Dolly, so. That's true. That's yeah. a good, oh, it's diffusion now, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, remember, MLPs will soon take yeah. everything, is my guess. Yeah. Looks like it. CogV2 is still Transformers, so it's still useful for some things. Alrighty, we are midway ish for the episode, and that means we're going to do our ad read once again. <laughs> Your favorite part. My favorite part, and as we've said in the past, we actually do like doing this because the thing we are promoting is a thing we are using right at this right very moment. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's Sandcaster, our tool for recording the podcast. So we've been using it for like two and a half year, uh, almost at this point. From the very beginning, we've started using it when COVID hit and we had to go remote. And we think it's great. Uh, it records separate audio and video tracks 
for um, guests and you know ourselves, our two hosts. The separate tracks are great for editing. There's cloud backup, so we just download it uh, after recording. It's super easy to use, nothing to download. You just send a link similar to Zoom and it just records. I've had very few technical issues. So yeah, I'd recommend it if you need to do some sort of audio recording or want to start your own podcast. And you can go to zen.ai slash last weekend. <laughs> and you can go to zen.ai slash last week in AI and get 30% off your first three months of a pro account. And if you do that, we get some money. So, you know, uh, if you feel like doing that, we'll be thankful. But, you know, try it out for free. It's, it's pretty powerful as well. It's definitely saved our butts a few times when we thought we lost our recording. It yeah. actually does just hold on to it. So that's great. Thank you, Zencaster. Uh, and on to our society and ethics section, UK regulators path for AI starts with auditing algorithms. So the Digital Regulation Cooperation Forum, the DRCF, which is a group of four UK regulators actually published last week a couple documents where it guided businesses about you know, the risk, the benefits of AI and how to audit algorithms. Uh, and so specifically, uh, you know, the UK, like many other countries, um, they're developing a regulatory framework to govern the use of AI. But unlike other governments, such as the EU, which has already drafted a lot and is already discussing it in Parliament, the UK is taking a slower but more comprehensive approach to AI regulation. Uh, the US is also you know, behind the EU here. Um, and uh, the UK published a, a national AI strategy setting out its plan to become an AI, quote, superpower last year in 2021. Uh, and this strategy had included the creation of a national AI research and an innovation program, an AI standards hub, uh, the modification of ex existing laws to include AI uh, and uh Basically, you know, one of the first uh, areas that the DRCF now is seeking, which is much more specific, uh, is auditing algorithms and how to take coordinated action in doing so and actually taking input from the public about what to do here. Yeah, so um, still, you know, early days in general, it seems like both the EU and UK and especially the US or Canada are still in a process of figuring out the sort of legal uh, frameworks for AI and how to you know, impose limits and, and create audits and things like that. Uh, we've talked before about how the EU has this concept of sort of different uh, levels of risk for things and here, um, you know, the UK seems to want something similar which is uh, defining what to audit against, what to look for, what kind of outcomes they seek, uh, and um, basically se several goals to just figure out what you want with respect to auditing. Uh, for instance, like if people are impacted by it, how do you seek to um, get uh, fair or, or get... Um, proper response. So uh, right now, this is just uh, six different proposals uh, with different levels of regulatory intervention. 
and um, they're looking for feedback. And yeah, it seems like it's we've been talking about these sorts of kind of incremental steps uh, now for a bit, and it's uh, encouraging to see uh, still these sorts of things coming out. Definitely, the progress isn't super fast, but it is there. If only we saw something like this for the U.S. <laughs> uh, we won't be behind all of these, but we'll see how they work and maybe stumble. I don't know. <laughs> Indeed. Pros yeah. and cons and being, being second or in this case, I guess, third. Or yeah. More. <laughs> yeah. And on to our second uh, story relating to society. We got a unique machine learning model predicts homelessness among U.S. soldiers before their transition to civilian life. This is covering the paper predicting homelessness among U.S. Army soldiers no longer on active duty. And so researchers from the Massachusetts General Hospital and the Harvard Medical School basically looked at a whole bunch of factors you can get from a survey, I think like 2,000 indicators, to predict uh, what kind of soldiers uh, or, or how to predict that soldiers who are no longer in the military might wind up um, homeless. And, and the factors, somewhat unsurprisingly, uh, are that uh, these soldiers might have lifetime depression, uh, trauma of having a loved one more murdered, and PTSD. Uh, and this is an important study. You know, right now there are an estimated 40,000 homeless veterans in the U.S., which is 8% of the homeless population. There's been efforts since uh, 2009 to address it, but still, you know, it's a huge number. And uh, this is quite um, seemingly successful look into how you could get ahead of a problem, you know, predict who might be at risk instead of addressing it after someone is already on the streets. So clearly, uh, hopefully, uh, a good step towards addressing this problem more seriously. I really like the quote from Ronald Kessler in there, who uh, is a is the senior author of the study and also a nationally recognized sociologist who said, quote, for the first time, we're applying to homelessness a, quote, personalized medicine approach that leverages differences in an individual's biology, lifestyle, and environment to determine who is at greatest risk with a higher degree of precision than ever before. And I think that's true. That is really, really important um, uh, to do. Uh, and this will, this will help, help significantly. And of course, is attached to, you know, all the, you know, giving active duty questionnaire in near the end of active duty, giving those questionnaires and uh, helping the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs very tactically to identify and proactively target those soldiers who are at risk. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's worth noting here there the the way this was done uh, is that data from nearly seventeen thousand soldiers between two thousand eleven and two thousand fourteen. Uh, which uh, this data included questions about housing history, childhood experiences, traumatic events and stressors, and, and basically a lot of things. Um, they used this data and then applied machine learning to kind of narrow down from 2,000 predictor variables uh, to the main ones. So I believe they got 
pretty high accuracy. And so this could actually be used in practice if some of these things like questionnaires are added. Uh, so hopefully that will be the case. Right. And on to our fun and neat section. The first article is researchers taught AI to write wine and beer reviews, and they're pretty convincing. So uh, this is uh, a group of researchers uh, from Dartmouth, I believe, uh, used around 125,000 reviews that were published in the Wine Enthusiast magazine to train their program and to teach how to write wine reviews. Uh, and they repeated the process with over 140,000 reviews from the Rate Beer website for beer reviews. Uh, and some of them are really funny. They did they did test, you know, uh, the reviews on a group of human testers. And um, they were asked to read, you know, an AI one and a human one for each of something like 300 different wines and 69 different beers. And most of the time, the testers couldn't tell the difference between the AI one and the, uh, the human one. And so some examples include, this is a sound Cabernet. It's very dry and a little thin in blackberry fruit, which accentuates the acidity and tannins drink up. <laughs> so that's one of them. Another one is uh, pretty dark for a rosé and full bodied with cherry, raspberry, vanilla and spice flavors. It's dry with good acidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... Um, I mean, it's maybe not too surprising given the quality of GPT-3 and that this is using inputs about uh, each drink's winery or brewery, ABV, and cost. So uh, from that, you can probably get a pretty decent uh, approximate review, especially in terms of the quality of the writing, which for this kind of short description certainly is not beyond what we can do with AI these days, maybe is even kind of easy. Um, this was uh, re uh, published in the International Journal of Research Marketing. Uh, it's titled Complementing Human Effort in Online Reviews, a Deep Learning Approach to Automatic Content Generation and Review Synthesis. So uh, according to Raffers, the idea is that this could sort of generate the first draft of a review and the human could then modify it. Uh, although I'm not too sure that the modification would be that necessary. I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, this is definitely not using something super state of the art. So I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah, uh, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, yeah. Though I think in this case, honestly, it's, uh, I mean, they're writing very short reviews. Um, so yeah, uh, this is pretty doable. <laughs> I don't know how much, uh, you need to even drink the wine to really write the review. No, I bet, I bet there you do, but, uh, yeah, I, I think if you, you probably, if you tried the wine or especially with beers, I think you could probably tell that it wasn't quite on, but you know, it's fun. It's a fun little paper, uh, not to be dismissive, but it's it's uh, not too cutting edge. And I could easily see this being done for a lot of other products, although yes. things like laptops, obviously it's not as easy because there are a lot of details to get right. Uh, so uh, it's definitely not as straightforward. Um, you could definitely do fake restaurant reviews pretty easily. So that would be pretty amusing. <laughs> for better or for worse uh, 
There's a lot of occasion of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And our second story over here is uh, TSNE to view and order your Spotify tracks. This is actually a post on the machine learning subreddit uh, that is a project post. So there are these project posts that just describe things that uh, different people who post uh, built. And this is a cool project where this person used the Spotify API to uh, look at different uh, songs in a given playlist and use metrics provided by Spotify, which uh, is a lot of things. There's like danceability, energy, liveness, loudness, tempo, and valence, and more. And he used all this with a pretty well-known technique called TSNE to basically plot a 2D chart where similar things are nearby and non-similar things are further away. And then with this interactive tool, you could actually do like kind of drag around and pick uh, a different subset of music to create a new playlist. And I, I think he has a live demo online. So um, not super mind-blowing. It's a quick little project, but I do wish there was more of this sort of like data analysis on top of music collections just to inspect what is in there. That's pretty cool. Uh, I've been, yeah. Uh, I mean, TSNE is a very, you know, classic type of dimensionality reduction method to visualize data and cluster it and see like, uh, what's close to what. And so this is a cool little uh, project that will help uh, your day-to-day and playlist making, which is, yeah, <laughs> pretty fun. I like when I see really fun applications. Yeah, it's it's really fun. You can, it generates basically a bunch of dots uh, on a 2D plane where, again, it's a distribution of songs. You can use your mouse and, and look over each dot to see what song it is, which artist it is and then kind of draw a circle around a bunch of songs to save a new playlist, uh, which could actually be useful possibly if you have like a giant rap playlist or a giant rock playlist. You can then subdivide that into subgenres or something, which would be actually very useful. So um, yeah, congrats to the person who built this and then posted and actually made it a usable demo. Congrats to 40WD, this Reddit user. And yeah, we'll have a link to this in our uh, description as usual, so feel free to check it out. And for our last story, we're going to quickly touch on uh, this YouTube video and blog post that Boston Dynamics put out called What's New in Spot. So Spot is their uh, kind of dog-like uh, yellow robot that they're actually selling to businesses for various applications. And they put out this kind of, uh, I guess, blog post and video to showcase a variety of improvements uh, that are um, definitely less showy. It's interesting to see a video from Boston Dynamics that's this serious. You know, there's no dancing or parkour. <laughs> Instead, it's showcasing a bunch of very practical things like a better user interface for using it, uh, additional sensors, a better charger, things like that. So they really are making serious efforts to you know get customers, which uh, makes sense and is something we only started doing really a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this uh, video is actually geared towards our, you know, customers, potential customers uh, looking to control spot and be able to find a way to manage spot and actually help with the operations and operating spot, essentially. Um, So it's not for the flashy. The flashiness is probably to hire people like us, Andre, (laughs) and this is probably for the businesses who want to buy spot. So the audience is different. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's cool to see this kind of progress, uh, and it's interesting to see these more low level things. It's very practical. There's things like five G connectivity, uh, you know, edge computing on on board of it, things like that. So, uh, Boston Dynamics still hard at work building useful robots, unlike well, pretty much ahead of anybody else out there. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Scanner Today's Last Week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. Remember to subscribe, leave a rating, review us. Review us. We (laughs) haven't gotten a new review in a little while. I got to say, I I checked before every recording and... uh, (laughs) I always wish there was new ones, so, you know, I'd appreciate it. Uh, But either way, do tune in to our future episodes.